AMU. American Military University is proud to present In Public Safety Matters. I'm Dr. Ashley Taylor, and I'm discussing equity, diversity, and inclusion with Dr. Sakina Stevens. While this has been an issue in organizations that has been long swept under the rug, it's coming to the fore more now before than ever. And in this episode, I'm going to discuss one leader's perspective. Dr. Stevens, thank you for agreeing to discuss this extremely relevant topic with me. Good morning, and thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your professional background. Well, first, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I always like to start off with where I came from and where, where I will continue to be a part of my life. I have 24 years of federal law enforcement experience. I'm married with two sons. I currently manage the division of a uniform division of the Federal Air Marshal Service. Prior to that, I had been a correctional officer I've been an immigration officer, I've been on the street, so my law enforcement experience has taken me from a local city to now federal. I have a great expand of law enforcement experience in different environments. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational background? I have a bachelor's degree from Utica College of Syracuse University, my master's from John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York, and my doctorate is from Walden University in Public Policy and Administration with a Homeland Coordination Concentration. Oh, I can see how that really supports your professional background. Yes, it has. It has. I have a collateral duty managing my agency's response to emergencies, such as hurricanes, most recently to the covid Response. So the main focus is keeping the airports open. So that Homeland Security coordination is really coming handy in making sure that our airports remain open and whatever emergencies that we're faced in that whatever region it is, if it's nationwide like COVID did, making sure that the airports remain open. So it really did come in handy. So now that we know a little bit about you, let's talk about equity, diversity and inclusion. What are some of the disparities you've observed in your line of work as it relates to diversity? I think the reoccurring things that I have seen is the special assignments that just come about that there's no notice of the special assignments. There's no posting of, hey, is anyone interested? And then all of a sudden, somebody's named in that position and also in promotions. I've seen where because of somebody's race and gender, they're pushed or encouraged to take on assignments or they just miraculously appear in positions or just given a pass in terms of even discipline-wise because of their race and gender. Those are the two biggest things that I've seen throughout my career. It's not germane to any one position or any one agency, but that's been the current thing, that somebody just miraculously get pushed and encouraged to take on this assignment, and then they're there. And because of that one assignment, I'm in a better position to take on other assignments. So you mentioned special assignments. Could you clarify for our listeners what those things are? So I'll give you an example. We recently did a coordination with another federal law enforcement agency, and all of a sudden, a certain individual was named in that position, but that position was never announced. 
so people could apply. So they just automatically here, this assignment came about, we're going to put so-and-so in the position. And it was never, you know, there was never no recruitment. There was never an no advance note and say, hey, are you interested? There's only select individuals are named are placed in those positions. I see what you're saying. So that's where that pass that you mentioned before comes in. It was the position was filled without even reviewing the pool of available and qualified candidates. Nobody even had an opportunity to be a part of that pool of qualified individuals. So what do you think is the uh, underlying cause of these disparities? For one, it is definitely an unconscious bias that's there. I also believe that there's a disconnect between equality and equity and fairness. And I think people are used to dealing with or having a relationship with people who look like them. So they automatically go with what's safe. And do you think that is something that is specific to your line of work or across the board? I think it's across the board. Everybody wants to be around people that are safe. And I think that's what the problem is. I see it more in law enforcement because it's a, a mainly, it's still a mainly man's world in law enforcement. So the people who is there, they tend to support and recommend and encourage and push the ones that look like them. So, of course, that gives, and women are very, I mean, even in 2021, we only make up a small section of law enforcement officers. And then when we look into minority in terms of the background, it's even smaller. So you feel comfortable of pushing and encouraging your own. I've definitely seen that in uh, corporate America. When I was doing my research for my dissertation, I interviewed a, a group of women and talking about their experiences. And where you mentioned that people go with what's comfortable or who looks like them or who they feel that they can relate to rather than going through, like I said, the available of qualified pool of candidates, just because one, it may f- seem easier. It, it feels more comfortable and specific to your line of work where that is like you said, more of a male-dominated industry that just seems to carry on. We go with who we know, with what we like, and who we're comfortable with. Absolutely, absolutely. Rarely there's another female or there's another Black person that's on the table. And if they're on the table, you know, it's that one. But the majority is still white males rule law enforcement, and that's what's been sitting at the table there's very little room to move over and allow somebody else to a seat at the table. To sort of summarize that, the underlying cause would be the patriarchal society that pervades that industry. Yes, ma'am. Why do you think it's important for organizations to foster diversity, equity, and inclusion? It's important because it stifles creativity. Diversity is already proven to boost innovation. And of course, it increases the company's bottom line. Organizations that appear to tolerate racist behavior create a lack of a safety net for their employees. Employees, if they don't feel like they're part of the company, then they're disengaged. They don't want to work. Then they eventually have higher staff turnover. And then it's the, I don't want to come to work because I don't really feel comfortable here. So it increases absenteeism. And then if things are bothering you to the point where 
you take it internally, then you go into the doctor because you're not feeling well. So all that increases in areas where it affects the bottom line. And then you also have is how it's seen by the outside, right? We all saw when H&M had the T-shirt, coolest monkey in the jungle, with the black young man in the sweatshirt, and how quickly Nationwide International was like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And yes, they came back and said, hey, I'm sorry about it. But we saw how quickly that this course almost ruined H&M for that mistake. And even though it was a mistake and they said, I got it wrong, it was not tolerated. And of course, it hurt the bottom line. So when employees don't feel supported at work, innovation suffers and the employees suffer. And basically, it hurts the bottom line of the company. And it's not just one company, right? Because you could say, well, who cares about that company? But it's also an economy. It's also in terms of productivity and just trickles down. You know, if you're in this workplace and you're not feeling good and you don't like what's happening here, you bring it home. You bring it home and it continues into the family and then it continues into the neighborhoods and it continues to the children. So it's an ongoing problem that continues that affects us as a whole. It's not just an individual thing. It's a society thing, a systemic thing that we really need to fix. That's very deep to talk about how what's taking place in the organization itself and how it affects every other aspect of society. You have... Like you mentioned, you'll have the employees feeling disengaged and not included. And then the wheels aren't turning as much for that innovation because why bother? Who's going to hear my idea? Will it be integrated? Who wants to hear? Who wants to hear my idea? Nobody cares. All I'm doing here is is checking a box. And I think it's also important for organizations to represent the communities that they serve especially in positions of leadership. When you have an organization in law enforcement, the communities that they serve need to see people like them. Absolutely. We've seen that over and over again. We saw it in in Ferguson. We saw it in, in different cities where we look at the law enforcement, look at that police force, and realize the neighborhoods that they service and nobody looks like them. And then they want to know why is there this fear? Well, there's this fear because you don't understand it. You don't understand that, say, for example, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I mean, it's a, it was a huge Caribbean population. And if you're not used to Haitians speaking very loud and with their hands and everything else, you will approach that area or you approach these two individuals and you swear they were in a fight. And not understanding that's how they communicate with each other. Their arms are flaring and they they speaking fast and stuff like that. If you're not part of that area, you're you're not familiar with it, you automatically think it's a fight, not knowing that they were talking about a soccer match. So that's why it's important for the law enforcement to reflect the communities that they serve. Come out of the car, come out of the station, and actually look and try to assimilate with them and understand what that looked like. We also saw studies where it's not uncommon to be in Harlem and, you know, you see individuals seeing a police officer and automatically run. Why? Because there's this fear. So would you have seen that in the suburbs of Virginia? Absolutely not. But because of the past and what these people experience basically shapes how they perceive law enforcement today. 
it has to be an understanding both ways. You have to understand that, you know, when you approach people, there is this fear. There is a fear of, we all know, well, a lot of us understand what driving black is. So there's this automatic fear of what is going to happen. Am I going to make it through this car stop? So yes, it's the most important and most is the scariest aspect of being in law enforcement is doing that car stop because I might have pulled you over for a busted taillight. However, in the Timothy McVeigh situation, when that cop pulled over Timothy McVeigh, it was for a traffic stop. He had no idea that Timothy McVeigh just blew up the building. It takes both law enforcement, but also people for both of them to have an understanding of where they're coming from and to understand that, hey, maybe I need to approach the situation this way. Maybe I need to understand that Haitians speak very loud and, you know, their arms are filling and they're not automatically assume that they're fighting or understand that there's this tremendous fear of law enforcement. Yeah, that understanding is, is very important. So what do you think some of the long-term consequences are for an organization that ignores this, that ignores the necessity of equity, diversity, and inclusion? First of all, it's a lack of growth of the organization. And this is 2021. If you don't realize that it takes all of us and you have to have an inclusive organization, then I don't expect you to be here. I don't plan to be here around much longer as a loss of funding from your stakeholders, your customers. You know, Americans want brands to take a stand and to speak out on racial injustice. It's going to affect your bottom line. Economic Policy Institute recently did a study that shows that black workers remain twice as likely as unemployed as white workers, even though the economy has changed, is because the pattern is persistent for more than 40 years. Even though the economy is getting stronger, You haven't dealt with this pattern that is for 40 years. This is a systemic problem, that black workers are less likely than white workers to be employed in a job that is consistent with their level of education. So what that's looking at is that racial discrimination remains a factor. And that's a major failure in terms of the economic market and despite a tight labor market. Why is that? Why it's been 40 years and we haven't been able to change that? So in terms of our bottom line, in terms of the growth of this country, yes, it's affecting the group, but it's affecting us as a country. And how can we say we are indeed a superpower if we're still stagnant? I hear you. Especially uh, just thinking back to what you said earlier about how it all trickles through. So when you have that happening in an organization, that long-term consequence of the bottom line, yes, that hits for the organization, but it also, like you mentioned, goes trickles into the community and into our children and into the economy and all of that. So it's just a systemic issue that affects all aspects of what's happening in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I have a college degree and I'm turning around and I'm working a low-income job, then what that's saying to the, my children come behind me. Am I pushing for them to obtain these college loans, these student loans to go to college for them to be making $23,000, $24,000 a year? Then what is that? I'm only able to afford a certain amount for housing. So what does that community look like that I'm living in and everybody else in that, in that community? It's definitely a systemic problem that trickles down and affects all of us. So knowing that, what efforts 
is your organization taking to develop a more diverse and equitable and inclusive work environment? That question was, is, is very hard for me to respond to. Just after um, the death of George Floyd, they decided to have basically discussion group. I think where it went wrong it was the, the title that they gave the group. It was, it was more encouraging a town hall, but basically it was somebody asking you, the employees, questions. And just to get an understanding of how do you see the organization in terms of, is the organization diverse? Is it equitable? I think the biggest takeaway was that on the lower levels, people do feel that way amongst their peers. But the higher you go in the organization, people did not see that. So that's what they have done. They haven't decided where we're going next. They spoke to everybody nationwide in the organization, was able to you know, sit down with a, this panel and ask the same questions. I don't know what's next, but I'm waiting to see just like everyone else's because we do have that problem when it comes to the higher levels of the organization. It's not diverse. It's not equitable. It's not, it's not an inclusive work environment, and that's where the problem is. Even though there's programs in place, there is a good talk. The problem is not on the lower levels, it's at the higher level. So I don't know what the solution or what plans are in place to change that. Well, even if the plans are not necessarily in place, it is good that at least the conversation has begun. Yes, it's always a positive thing when somebody's willing to have the conversation. Even though it might not be the right question you're asking, it's always positive that a attempt is made. We're going to take a little break. We've been talking to Dr. Stevens, and we'll be right back. Working in Homeland Security requires versatile experts to handle domestic and international security issues. A Homeland Security degree at American Military University offers you the chance to improve your expertise and develop practical knowledge for combating terrorism and security threats to our nation. Learn from experienced leaders in Homeland Security. Apply today at amuonline.com. I'm Dr. Ashley Taylor, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sukina Stevens about equity, diversity, and inclusion. Let's get back to the conversation. And really, organizations have been forced to look at this. I mentioned in the introduction, it has, in some cases, been swept under the rug, but all the events that have happened over very recently over the past, we'll just focus on the past year or so, have really forced organizations to take a look at what's going on within the organization and how it is structured and who's doing what and the representation that's there and really being honest with themselves about what's there and what can be done. It's been very encouraging. It really has to see companies take a stand, to companies really try to change their framework and ask the hard question. Yes, it really has been encouraging for our country. And I'm quite proud of the, the small changes and advances that we have made. Now that we've talked about uh, the experience within your organizations and everything, how has your experience shaped your perspective on diversity? Have you had to overcome some unconscious bias? Always. It, it seems like it's second nature. A lot of times it's this, well, she's only here because she, they ha- they're checking two boxes. 
because I'm a female and I'm a black woman. That's always been the case in my 24 years of law enforcement. Sometimes it's, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to show you more than I could tell you. But other times it's, it's really, it's getting pretty old. And just because I might appear that I have a seat at the table today, the people around the table do not want me there. And I really believe that needs to change. I get that I don't look like a law enforcement officer all the time. I have had my share and will continue to have my share of um, overcoming unconscious biases. You mentioned that seat at the table. I noticed in my own experience, sometimes I haven't been as vocal about things as maybe I should have been because of concern of how it's going to be received. When you were talking about the Haitian community and how the the way they speak to one another, yes, it's loud. Yes, it's it's expressive. But when you don't understand that that's the way they communicate with each other, that can be off-putting. I have found that when having a seat at the table, sometimes I really question the way my delivery is going to be so that it can be well-received. And sometimes that requires me to change the way I'm going to deliver. I also have to do the same thing, but it's a perfect balance, right? But like the scales of justice, you try to get them balanced. And it's, um, I try very hard to do the same, but sometimes I, I don't always win. <laughs> Depending on the situation, I give you an example. Uh, one of the divisions had, um, it's Black History Month, so they featured two individuals in their divisions, and they talked about, basically they, they put up their bio, not about the individual itself, it was just a standard bio. And on inclusion, there was like, as we closed the door on Black History Month, and I had to take a deep breath because Black history is not just a month, it's a year, it's, it's everything, it's us, it's America. And for that, those few words, I'm going to close the door on Black History Month. It really incited in something inside of me that I have to always look at, okay, maybe they do not understand what those few words translated to everyone else, what you wrote. You might say, oh, okay, the 28 days is there. We're going to move on. But just that motion of moving on, on to the next one, like, you know, we, we took, it was a hiccup in your day that you had to do this. You were forced to do this because of the calendar, those things. So, yes, I had to take a step back because it really incited me to say, okay, this is 2021 and you're the head of this division. You're the senior leadership. And this is what you're writing. And I'm just like, we have these programs, we have these discussions, but are you really looking into what this means and how it could be perceived? And I think that's the biggest takeaway. It's like, it's great that we have these programs and stuff, but are you really listening? Are, are you getting it? And it's, and it's okay if you don't get it, but how about you turn to someone else and say, hey, can you look at this for me? How is this perceived? Is this okay? It's, ask those questions. Don't be afraid. I, I don't understand how at this day and age that we are so afraid to have a conversation. I'd rather you have the conversation then you put something out there. And it wasn't just 
myself that was furious about what was written, it bothered a lot, a lot of people at what he wrote. And, you know, we all felt like it was unacceptable in this day and age. I do understand exactly what you say about how it's going to be perceived. And then when when being concerned about how it's going to be received, you then sometimes fail to even address it. And then that's where that very valuable conversation is lost. Because I'm concerned about how it's going to be received, I don't even bring it up. And then, then it goes and gets pushed under the rug again. So it becomes cyclical. We don't want that to happen. I've always been the one that speak up, and I'm always the one that everybody calls and said, hey, this happened. I'm the one that says, hey, no, that's not, it, it didn't happen to you because of your black female. It happened to you because this is by policy. They have the right to do so. But when is a time when, it, you know, something like that? Yeah, I have to speak up. And just last year, when Floyd passed away and the civil unrest was occurring all over, but in D.C., there was silence from my senior leadership. And it bothered me that it was silence. Yes, I knew the director. We've worked together. I, I knew him, but I didn't take his silence automatically as that he didn't care. You know, New York is very diverse, and he was a, um, a New York City police officer. So I know, despite your biases and stuff that you have, I know how you know what it feels like. You've, you've been, we've been in New York, you know, we, you know, you've been around different type of people. So I know that's not what it is. It might be because you're busy and I kept making excuses and I'm making excuses. And I mean, a lot of us, no matter if you're black or white, male or female was very upset that our leader did not speak about what was occurring. And even as law enforcement officers, we didn't speak out. Not being judge and jury, because everybody deserves a day, but understanding the feeling of what transpired, where it was a law enforcement action and when it was no longer a law enforcement action. And we didn't hear anything from our senior leadership. And I couldn't take it anymore. And I wrote him an email and I said, sir, I am not okay. You are my leader. You are my white shirt. Everybody could refer to anytime there's any press conference, the commander comes out in his white shirt. And I said to him, you are my white shirt. And I said, there was not a response to what was going on outside. We sent officers. I sent officers outside into D.C., but there was not a response. It was about what was occurring. And he was like, well, um, immediately he texted me and emailed me. He said, give me a call. We were speaking on the phone and he was like, no, I'm, no, well, um, he said, that's me. And I said, I'm available tomorrow. And I met with him the next day and we sat down. And I said, sir, I said, I, I need you to understand. I don't care who's above you. You are our commander, and we need, I need, for you to speak out on this because we all know that there was a difference between a law enforcement action and what occurred that day. And I need you to say something about it. I need you 
to speak on behalf of all of us, not just the black officers, but all of us as law enforcement officers, because we all are hurting. I might not wear a uniform every day, but I do have a badge and a gun. And I still have to come home to my black sons and have to explain to them what happened and what they see on TV as a law enforcement officer. And after he was talking, he said, you know what? I get it. And I apologize that I didn't speak out about what was taking place. We miss the mark. We miss the opportunity to address our law enforcement officers. But I tell you one thing, what occurred in Atlanta, within 48 hours, there was a response to that. So we might have missed the mark in one situation, but we have learned. And that's, and that's all we could ask for. None of us is going to get it 100% all the time. I don't want to be right 100% of the time because there's, there's no room for growth. But that's all I look forward for us to start having those conversations. Don't be afraid to have the conversation. That's excellent. And it really just comes down to after you remove that political veil and this and that, it comes down to that human connection. You were able to talk to him yes. and say, this is how I felt about the situation and this is how it needs to be addressed. And just having that human connection and that conversation. Yes. It saddened me that I'm several levels below him, that nobody on your level or underneath you could have told you that. That saddened me. And to me, that's the problem, right? Why is there, there nobody underneath you? Is it sitting at your table that you put there to help you run this division, this organization there to tell you that is the problem? And that's what companies, organizations need to realize. Who was there on the table so we could get it right? I don't need 100% of the time, but better believe it has to be more better than what we're doing today. So if you could, in summary what would your recommendations be for organizational leaders? Take a hard look at every level of your organization and determine, does everybody have a seat at a table? Is it reflective to the people you serve, to your employees, to your consumers, to your community? Does it reflect America today? Because America yesterday, 10 years ago, is different than America that we see today. Does it reflect that? Not just what's in your circle, because regardless of what it is, we all have an unconscious bias with who we want surrounding us. So not necessarily your circle, but America's circle. Does it reflect that? And do you have programs that's in place that make employees feel like they belong? You know, have that conversation with people and then change it. Just change it within your own circle of influence. Change that. Because this is what America is today. America of yesterday of, you know, we exclude people and we're not going to have women here and there's going to be gender equality and sexual equality, all that. No, this is where we are today. And in order for us to survive and be the superpower that we talk about and we want to be and be example for the world, we have to change it. It's not new to have a woman and a helm of a country. 
we're late coming to the table. We have a number of countries are operated and run by female. We celebrate in, you know, we celebrate in that here in America, we're late and we need to realize that. I hope that everyone looks at their organization and look at who's at that table. And if somebody's missing, make room for them and get them. And if you feel like they don't have the skills and the qualifications to get them there, well, then it's your job to train them to be there. Because then we failed them even more. than not having them on the table. We didn't prepare to bring them to the table. We need to change that. And that starts from the bottom all the way up to the top. So essentially, it starts with the individual. Then we can work on those smaller pockets within the organization. And that just goes right on out into society and across the country. Absolutely. All right. So I want to thank you for agreeing to discuss this topic with me. And... I'm so glad that you were able to share your professional experience and your personal experience with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We've been talking to Dr. Stevens about equity, diversity, and inclusion. Thank you for listening. For more information about our university, visit us at amuonline.com. Thank you for listening. AMU, American Military University.